Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am doing something a little different than what we normally do. Instead of talking to somebody who is primarily a theater artist, I'm in conversation with Marissa Licata, a violinist and, I guess, ostensibly a band leader who has worked in musical theater, which we will talk about, as well as many other genres. She will be returning to the Birdland stage this Sunday, March 27th, for two shows at 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. She will be joined by an all-star band and special guest vocalist, Ari Krebs, for a show called Strings on Fire. Sounds both thrilling and frightening. Marissa certainly has musical theater chops. She has worked a lot at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. She was a violinist and the concert mistress for the Jagged Little Pill out of town tryout. She also served those same roles for Dave Malloy's Moby Dick, which had its premiere there as well. And she will be returning to ART later this year for the highly anticipated reimagining of 1776. Additionally, Marissa has worked with some amazing artists across her career, including Alicia Keys, Jethro Tull, Wyclef Jean, Her, Ben Harper, Ringo Starr, Dave Stewart, Gloria Estefan, Proz from the Fugees, and many, many more. We talk about the differences between the types of music she plays in the environments of pop and symphonies in musical theater. We also talk about the role of what a concert mistress does. And while I am not necessarily somebody who knows a ton about the intricacies of music, she's able to explain a lot of what goes through the mind of a musician in a way that even my feeble little brain could understand. We will, of course, have information in the show notes on how you can get tickets to see Marissa Licata's Strings on Fire at Birdland, both at 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. this Sunday, March 27th. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Marissa Licata. All right, so Marissa, I think theater fans are really accustomed to seeing actors move back and forth between mediums, whether that's stage and TV or stage and film and all of those different things. But I think it's a little different that we don't realize that musicians often bounce back and forth between a bunch of different areas as well, not only playing in a pit, but um, doing stuff for, um, you know, recording artists or doing things with symphonies or whatever. For you, who has done so many different types of music and played with so many different productions and artists, what is it like for you and for art- for musicians in general to kind of bounce back and forth between those worlds um, in a way that really, I don't think a lot of fans and audience members even recognize. Yeah, well, for me, it's really, it's a lot of fun, um, you know, being able to bounce back and forth. Uh, it's it's not necessarily, a, a lot of musicians do, um, you know, they'll, they'll go from orchestras to pits to, you know, symphonies and, um, and some musicians uh, don't they choose one you know a certain area um, and maybe go a little bit into uh, if they're comfortable delve into um, another sort of um, section of um, uh, of like orchestral playing say but um, for me it's really fun and I think it requires uh, a lot of versatility um, I think it uh, also starts for me with my background um, learning by ear mostly um, and um, 
to be able to go back and forth because you have to also remember that the process, the rehearsal process and the rehearsal and the, um, the, the sort of creative process for each of these different uh, types of music is totally different with different artists. You know, some, some of them read music, some of them don't, some of them just do things by ear. Some, and some of them really ask for your opinion, like, what do you hear here? And um, so it's being able to not only musically be versatile, but, um, but also within the creative process to really trust yourself, trust your ear and, and the, the background and training that you've had. That's really interesting. You mentioned the fact that there are some artists that will ask for your input as a musician. And obviously that is probably dependent on how closely you're working with them and, you know, what the type of performance that you're doing. But is that something that you see very much in your theater work as well? Obviously, a lot of times you come in and sit down and there's something that's been arranged and, and orchestrated and you're given the the sheets and everything. But uh, have you had that experience working in musical theater or maybe even earlier in a developmental process? Since I know you've done a lot of new shows, especially at ART and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is something that, uh, especially with the new shows, they are, um, uh, I have found um, that uh, my input, it, you know, especially with, um, when it comes to actual string playing and string writing, sometimes, uh, you know, a composer or an arranger will say, well, can you can you play that? First of all, is that is that note able to be played? Um, <laughs> so it helps. goes. It, yeah. It, yeah. Right. So it ranges from something, a question like that to um hey, we have this open section here. Um, what do you think? Uh, you, you know, we were thinking some, you know, sounds and ambient uh, uh, kind of noises, effects. Um, what do you think would would work here? And, and that really is something then that becomes up to me um, as the player. And, um, um, you know, that they'll will certainly say, no, not that. Um, they know when they, what they, you know, when they don't want, and it, it is a lot of trial and error. Um, but especially when you've worked with um, a, a certain director or maybe a certain composer, um, they know that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll call you back like in anything to um, kind of collaborate with them a little bit more. And, and the trust does build there. Um, if they've been happy with you in the past or they like what you've um, maybe they've heard some other stuff that you've done and, and really like your approach. Um, so it, it really ranges from a question as simple as, can you play that on your instrument to, um, if you want to go ahead and sort of write yourself a solo here, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and, and run with that. And that can even turn into, wow, I really like that theme. We're going to use that. We're going to weave that into the score. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's, it, it kind of sounds similar to the way we always hear about the rehearsal process being constructed for actors as well. They try things and if things work, they include them. If not, they move on. It's a trial and error thing, just like you said. And, you know, speaking of the work you've done at ART, you've worked on two very different new musicals that started uh, their lives there uh, between Jagged Little Pill and Moby Dick. Those, I imagine, were two incredibly different processes working with established songs, you know, from Alanis Morissette's catalog that are being reinterpreted in, you know, a musical theater way, as opposed to a new work by Dave Malloy, who is bringing a much different musical sensibility 
to that with all of your experience and all the different things that you do do those different styles of music even though they are in the larger realm of musical theater do those tap into different skills and experiences that you have as a string player yeah i think so um especially with moby dick um there was there was a lot there were a lot of um a lot of different styles. There was there's a whole section, a whole part um, of the of the show that was um, a little more fiddly, um, and and then there was you know some from very some very chamber um, chamber music. Um, much of it was like chamber music with with a string section, and you you know you're really tuned into your section. Um, and I uh, I really enjoyed with uh, with Moby Dick. Um, just having the freedom because, um, you know, Dave would also ask questions, you know, or, or give freedom in terms of articulation. He's, I was like, is it okay if I, um, just change some of the bowings? I think, I think the feel you're going for, um, is, would be better with, with such and such a bowing or, or, um, you know, maybe, maybe let's just add it, uh, at a, at an open string or something. And, um, these are the types of things, um, and I keep using the word feel, but it really um, it it really comes down to that, I think. And I think that that's where uh, a composer or a director um, would would trust the the actor or the musician to kind of bring um, uh, bring what's best for that part for their instrument. Yeah, that's that's for somebody who loves music but has no musical ability whatsoever. Like this whole process of like creating something out of nowhere is never ceases to amaze and inspire me. But with all of this background in whether it's, you know, working for, you know, major, you know, pop or rock acts and then all of the musical theater stuff, how does all of that play itself into what you do in your shows? Strings of Fire coming back to uh, Birdland here in just under a week. How do you pull all of these disparate influences and experiences into a show on stage with a with a band behind you to kind of highlight it, whatever it is that you think you do best? Um, yeah, it's um, you know my show is really uh, has become my musical story, my musical background um, from uh, some of these styles. I, I have. Um, you know, I go from classical uh, to uh, funk to um, pop and uh, some Eastern European with Middle Eastern influences, Latin influences. Um, this really is a story of my life and also my musical life. Um, and uh, coming from, I, I was born in Honduras and um, I, uh, but I've lived all my life in the United States. And there's something with just the fact that, that that was where my, that is where my roots are. I think that lives inside me musically, um, where I have an affinity for Latin rhythms, very energetic, percussive, um, driving rhythms. Um, and so that has really guided my, my musical tastes as well. Um, and, uh, and so with this show, with, with any show that I'm, um, that I work on doing a solo project and with my band, um, the band becomes a part of that story. Uh, whether I've known them for years, some of them, or, or whether they're, they're new people that I'm working with, um, they become part of the story and they add what they bring, obviously, like you, like you meet people in life and they become a part of your life, maybe only for briefly, maybe for a long time. Um, 
And so that's really what my solo show uh, showcases. Um, and um, and to an, to an audience who's coming to the show, it, they're, they're going to hear many different styles. There's certainly something in there for, for everyone. And what I really want the audiences to feel is just the energy, um, the rhythmic energy, the drive, um, because it's really about this is my story, but it, that's what it means to me. I want it to then translate to meaning each individual, something individual to each person. And obviously you have a, a singer or a vocalist that'll be a part of this, but when you were trying to tell a story that is mostly done through music, and I don't know how many songs that she's going uh, to be singing, but how do you try to tell that story just with the music and the songs and everything from your background that you select? Is Do you really consider the like the literal narrative of I did this and then I did this or is it more about the emotions that certain songs evoke how do you construct what go that what songs go into the show to tell this story even if I don't know how much of it is done with lyrics or not yeah so um the vocalist is um she's uh let's say we have uh 10 or 12 numbers she'll be on um should be on four of them. So the majority of the show um, is featuring the band without without lyrics, without a story being told to you already, right? And um, uh, for me in putting it together, um, it's an interesting question because I, I there were times over the years, this, this show has been in development for many years, probably my whole life, you know, without me, without <laughs> me maybe knowing it. Um, and, uh, but when I really consciously thought about it, I I did want to take it literally like, OK, well, how did you literally start? How did you start? OK, you started with uh, you started with classical music. You know, you started in your group lessons at New England Conservatory. And um, and this was the training you had for, for 15, 16 years straight of, of classical training. So it started there. Um, that's how I, that's how I begin the show, not to, not to give anything away, but, um, that's how I begin the show, uh, with, with, um, because I'm also very, very proud of the technical skill that comes along with being a classical musician. Um, and, uh, and I want to showcase that, um, and it's not something that everybody has. Uh, so, um, so I started at the beginning with, with how I open, um, Let's let's do something. This is where I started. Um, and I would say that it's more about the emotion, um, the the emotional journey, musical journey um, to be for me, because uh, um, I grew up listening to all types of music and it, it was my training was classical, but I always knew that there was more that could be done, could be said. Um, and I guess it was sort of a matter of wanting to say more. And when I when I present this show, when I play, I feel like I can say something. I'm saying what it is that I mean to say. Um, and without lyrics, that comes just from emotion. That comes from it, where I'm where I'm grasping at. It comes from my 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 mood also for the day, um, my general mood. Uh, when I think about when I think about days of hard summer days where I'm sweating, 
uh, like a pig and I, I just, um, I'm, I'm practicing, let's say something as boring as like a scale and I'm specifically, you know, I'm, it's hot, it's 90 degrees outside. I hear the kids running, you know, running by the door and they're all out playing and it's like, no, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is, I, I want to say something here. So, um, you know, I think about those days. I think about the arguments maybe that I've had with people. I've, I think about all of this to grasp the mood that, that I'm, that connects with me for that. And like I said, I want the audience to see and hear that from me, but I also want them to have their own connections. Um, so that's really what I, what I try to say, what I try to um, help bring out in a, in a show like this. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Another thing that I find incredibly interesting is the fact that for a lot of those shows or multiple shows that you that you've done, especially at ART, you had the title of concert mistress, which I generally know what that means. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to throw out my little music knowledge and you can tell me if I'm right or not. Okay. But the the concert mistress is essentially like Again, from what I understand, like the first chair violin who comes in and kind of sets the pace that a lot of people will be able to see your bow going up and down to kind of get the the time of the song being played. And in, you know, in traditional symphony kind of settings, it, you get to come out first. It doesn't always happen in a pit. But um, is that the basis of what that means, at least at the very nuts and bolts level? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, um, and it's, it just happens to be that the violin, the, the way the, the orchestra is set up and seated that the violin is, uh, gets the title of, of concert master or concert mistress. Um, yeah, they're the, they are uh, generally going to be somebody who is very close with the conductor who maybe makes some of these decisions, um, you know, on phrasing there, they, um, uh, and they're the they're the principal seat for the strings for certainly the first violin section. Um, they're the, the the seat the go between. Um, so if there's a question in the section, uh, the concert master will uh, will answer that and will have have talked with the conductor. Will have have all the the knowledge. Um, so that they really are the, uh, a go-between, and that and that goes for the principal seats in you know principal cello, principal viola, sure. um, principal second too. But the concertmaster really is um, the the leader of the strings for sure. Um, in in you know you've got the winds and brass who there's some there's some um, there's sort of leadership positions there too, which. Um, you know, uh, the concert may, master may not be as much um, in charge of what what happens there, but um, but yeah, it's the first violin chair, and um, they really are head of the strings. So, um, and and that's why they also sit as close to the conductor, so that they're really yeah um, right there interpreting. Yeah, is that something? Is it a different set of responsibilities or anything if it's a more traditional orchestral piece as a musical theater piece? Because I, I, I don't know why. Is there a difference between the responsibilities that a concert master or mistress would have in those different settings? 
Uh, yeah, I think there's there's more. Um, there's more. Uh, for example, in a, in a symphony orchestra, the concertmaster is in charge of bowings, um, talking with the other principals uh, of the section of the string string sections and um, matching articulation. You know, like um, so, there is uh, a lot more work um, uh, going on in there, and and in um, uh, in the musical theater world, I think it um, it is definitely more of a collaboration in many cases. The the rhythm section actually goes is in rehearsals and and there while actors are doing blocking and tech weeks um, before some of the other players might come in. Um, in in the musical in the musical theater setting, um, the concertmistress is still. Uh, so the lead of the strings, um, the lead of the um, maybe even the melody instruments, mm-hmm. but it's um, the rhythm section actually takes more of a um, a leadership role because they really have to make sure like hits. We're talking, you know, dance moves and and, um, you know, certain cues where um, where the rhythm section and, and a lot of times the drummer um, or keyboard player will have effects and will have to. Um, have more responsibility with that. So, um, so it, it does differ certainly from, from an orchestra to, to a pit. Um, but then again, you know, it depends on the show, it depends on the roles of each of these instruments. And, um, um, I think it's more collaborative and it's also smaller in a pit. So you can all talk with each other, um, as, as opposed to a 60 piece orchestra where, you know, sometimes the person's halfway across the stage, you literally can't see them. So, um, yeah, it's just closer with, within a pit. And looking at your, you know, kind of what you're, you have coming up here, I know you're going back to ART for what's not a new musical, but it seems like a, another really interesting interpretation of a show that a lot of musical theater fans know in 1776, a show that is, does have quite a bit of, of string influence, even, in terms of the plot of the show itself. Um, I, we know that there's going to be a lot of reinvention, especially with the casting of this show. Do you have much of an idea yet? Because I know there's been some workshop presentations and stuff throughout the period that I don't know if you've been involved with, but do you know if there's much reinterpretation of the orchestrations for this revival coming up later this year? Um, I actually don't know very much myself. Um, what I do know is that... Uh, um, the the violin the string chair um, there was there's up until very recently was violin uh, viola which is a doubling one book um, so a vi- violin viola chair and then cello so now that they're they've decided to uh, just make it a violin chair and and then there's a cello chair so it's interesting to me because I would have thought. Um, with the arrangements, maybe one of the reinventions of this, and it still could be too, because um, things are ever changing. But um, I would have, I might have thought that one of uh, one of the um, ways that they could have made it uh, recomposed it is with more strings, um, just more harmonies, and and maybe not changing the arrangements of anything, but just in terms of orchestration and, and ensemble. Um, but actually they've decided to, I think, go the more minimal route, at least for right now. So um, that's that's about all I know. And uh, with that, I know that it's an all-female cast. So 
um, there is certainly going to be reinterpretation, reinvention of um, of the presentation. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it because it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I would hope that, you know, if they're, you know, with an all female cast that maybe that will translate into the pit as well and see a, an all female pit uh, to go along to play the music that everybody's singing up on stage would be, would be really cool uh, added yeah. touch to that. Yeah. In addition to the musical theater stuff, we've talked about the fact that you've done, you've played with so many great artists uh, and without naming all of them, you know, but uh, like just some of the big names with like Alicia Keys and Gloria Estefan and even like Ringo Starr and and all these other folks. Is there a moment that you as a music fan, even somebody who, you know, came from, like you said, the beginning of your career as a, in the classical world, but who has worked her way up through all of these different types of music. Has there been any time when you've been on stage or in a pit or in an orchestra with somebody and you just pinch yourself and like, think, how did I get in this moment to be playing for this specific artist? Yes, um, I have had uh, that moment. And I recently, I, I think about it often, um, but I was asked this question not too long ago. And so I, um, and my answer is with uh, on my very first tour um, with Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. Uh, we um, it it was um, it, it was also it, it was kind of right place, right time that I that I was ready to audition for that gig that I that I went in not knowing who who he was or his band. And I'm just like, oh, OK, you know, totally naive. And um I, but I remember we were at, we were doing the amphitheater summer tour and uh, it was, we were at Jones Beach, New York um, at, the, at the amphitheater there, totally sold out. Um, I, I don't know what, I forget what capacity was, but maybe it was like 15, 20,000, something totally sold out. I remember coming out during my solo for Beret, one of, one of his sort of feature, one of Ian's feature um, moments for solo and that I soloed on. Um, and I came out, there was this green strobe light that went over the stage and then went out cool. into the audience, made it look like the, the ocean. And, uh, I remember looking out and being like, oh, wow. And I tried to look, I actually, I probably shouldn't have in the middle of, you know, performing in the middle of my solo, but I couldn't help but try to look out and try to see where everyone was like, just, just how far the, the theater was and like how many people were there. And I, I could not see, I, it was just like, uh, endless. And this green light made it, made it all look wavy. And I, and I remember thinking, remember this moment, remember this, like consciously remember this moment. Uh, this is a once in a lifetime moment and look who you're on stage with, like, remember how you got here. And this was all happening in, in a split second. So it, it, um, but it stuck with me because I remember wanting to remember it specifically because I knew, I knew how special it was and I knew what it meant, what it took to get there. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, turning back our attention as we wrap up here to strings of uh, strings, sorry, uh, to strings on fire at Birdland on March 27th, two shows that night, 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. You talked about wanting to tell your story and, and through this show. But what is it about this story that you hope audience members are able to take away from the experience of seeing it? What is uh, the the message or the thoughts and feelings that you hope to impart upon the people who come and see the show? 
that I think we can all agree that great music is great music. Uh, great energy is great energy. Uh, we as people actually agree a lot more um, than we think and that maybe then it looks like in the world and in with all issues that are happening um, and we can agree on music. Um, and I'm just someone trying to present it in, in the way that I like, that I, the, the way that I think people will connect with, um, that it brings together um, people into agreement. And I, I really hope that people are moved and touched in a way that um, helps release some of the um, negativity and the opposition um, that it, it's so easy to fall into. Um, and so I, I know that when I've been moved and really everything just goes away, it's like, why, why are we fighting? Like, why, why, why be so angry? Like, look what can be, um, look what you can, look what exists and look what we can agree on. Um, and so that's, that's really, uh, what I'd like to, for, and for myself too, uh, that, that includes me. I would like to also experience that while I'm playing. It's like, a release. It's like, look what, look what you can be a part of, um, and what you get to be a part of. So to share that is, is ultimately what, what I'm trying to say and what I'm looking to do. Yeah. I mean, music has always been, you know, for, in many ways, a universal language, whether that's amongst people who actually speak the literal same language, but can't agree on anything else, or for people who don't speak the same, you know, actual language, uh, to be able to communicate emotions and thoughts on on a level deeper than just the words that they are saying. So that's wonderful. I have no doubt that you will be able to achieve that um, coming up at Birdland on the 27th. Um, and I'm very excited to see all of the other projects that you're working on and, and do see what along with you, it sounds like what the sound of this new 1776 is uh, is going to be when it hits the stage this summer and then presumably uh, on Broadway later in the year. Yeah, look, really looking forward to it. 